In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here we are at the end of the church year with another opportunity to contemplate God's truths, to mull over for just a while where this is all going, this thing called human history, where it's all headed as we move towards the end of all things, of where we're all going to be in the end. And as I consider the gospel lesson for today, as we consider Luke's account of the crucifixion, I can think of no better topics of discussion than the ones that we are not supposed to talk about. What are the two things that you're not supposed to talk about at Thanksgiving? Politics and religion. And last time I checked, it isn't quite Thanksgiving just yet. So if we're going to avoid those subjects around the dinner table, I thought it would be okay for us to talk about them right now. And not only am I going to talk about politics and religion this morning, but I'm going to commit an even greater sin in the eyes of the world. I'm actually going to mix the two together. Some of you are shuffling in your chair right now, and it's kind of the reaction I was hoping for. Whenever we think upon Jesus on his cross, we no doubt Think of that in terms of, of, of religion. We think of it in religious terms. It is, after all, God in the flesh dying for us and in our place to rescue us from hell and damnation. And you better believe that that has everything to do with true religion and our understanding of who God is and what he has done for us. But we tend to not really see this in its political dimensions. And I think that that's really a shame. The last Sunday of the church year, in some circles, it's called Christ the King Sunday. And it gives us that added perspective that perhaps we miss on Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, we are rightly mourning for our sins that necessitated Jesus going to the cross in the first place. That's kind of our focus. But coming off the election season, I think it's good for us to reground ourselves in the truths that matter far more than, than these debates, the endless debates between red and blue, although that's really important too. There was a political crisis early on in the life of Israel. During the days of Samuel, the, the prophet and the judge, Samuel, Israel demanded from God a king so that they could be led and governed like everyone else. And so God gave them King Saul. And King Saul was a very impressive man. He was mighty in battle. He was very competent to lead, although he was very, very flawed and he was disobedient to the Lord. And it was this hard lesson to learn, but God was teaching them that the only one who was fit to lead his people was going to be his elected one. It was going to be his chosen king. And in David, we see this man who is after God's own heart, one who also was strong in battle, one who was even more competent than Saul, fit to lead God's people. But, but even David showed us that he could not be the king that God wanted him to be. David fell way short. David was a sinner. Uh, he was one that was given to abusing his authority, bringing scandal and, uh, and shame upon the office that he was given, bringing disgrace, heartache to his family. How often do we get carried away with the expectations of government leadership? How often are we hoodwinked at the end of terms when we're left wondering if our, if our favorite political leader remembered any of the promises that he had made or she had made? 
I'm not suggesting that we check out on all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not advocating that we not be responsible and informed citizens. We are first article Christians. Uh, first article of the creed, according to that article, God uses all kinds of means to provide order and to provide flourishing for his creation. And we Christians take part in those processes. But what I am suggesting is that we don't have to be tossed around by all those political trade winds. Whenever an election doesn't go your way, or even whenever it does go your way, that is not what you stake your sanity upon. We actually stay grounded in our most essential political identity. Not red, not blue, not third party, but as baptized children of God under the gracious reign and rule of King Jesus who remembers every single promise He has ever made and who will deliver on every single one of them. The cross is a political event. Luke the Evangelist spills a lot of ink trying to convince us of that. Our gospel lesson for today begins with this group of women who were following Jesus along his dusty path to Golgotha, that place where he would be crucified. They were wailing, they were mourning, they were beating their breasts. This was a Jewish custom. They were, they were mourning Jesus as if he were already dead. That's how sure and certain this event was. And it seemed like the reverent thing to do, but even though Jesus had been whipped and scourged and flayed several times over, along with being mocked and spat upon and forced to carry the heavy cross, even amid all that, he mustered the energy to turn to them to speak to those women because their mourning was misplaced. And he told them, do not weep for me, but for yourselves and for your children. He would not suffer their sentimentality for what he was enduring, even though they were likely well-meaning women. They probably had good intentions. But instead, he calls attention to the coming judgment. The judgment that was coming upon Israel, that same judgment that prefigures all of judgment that the creation rests under, and the coming judgment on the last day. They should weep tears of repentance for their own sins. It's the whole reason why he was making his way to the cross. As we sang this morning, it's my sins that held him there. That's why we mourn. Sin requires a just penalty. And it, it's not just a just penalty, but it's also adjudicated. It's also carried out by a righteous judge, by a just judge. And we confess in the creed that he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead. These are the politics of eternity. This is the politics of the kingdom. What we speak of in the creed and what Jesus spoke of to the women, that it was both of the judgment that was to occur upon Israel, but also the judgment at the end of all things and the judgment that began at his death on the cross. Mankind had placed itself under that judgment due to Satan's attempted usurpation of the rightful king. This is a political story. This is a political reality. Satan attempted to usurp the rightful king. 
And we see the severe threats that God makes against those who scorn and who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, as this fallen world does. There are those who reject the work of Christ and his legitimate offer of salvation and rescue from the kingdom of the devil because Jesus appears to be a weak king in his state of humiliation whenever he is walking this earth and especially whenever he is dying on the cross. He appears to be weak. He's crucified like a common criminal. And the worldly rulers and the authorities in Luke's gospel, they mocked him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, if he is God's chosen one. That was in response to Jesus' words of forgiveness that he prayed from the cross. That he prayed for both us and the world. Jesus cries out to his Father as the intercessory high priest and the rulers and the authorities of this world would only scoff and would mock him. They offered him sour wine through a sponge on a pole. They kept wanting to badger Jesus with those political taunts. If you are the king of the Jews, if you are really a king, you will save yourself. And there was that sign that Pilate hung over Jesus' head, the sign that read, King of the Jews. Both a mockery of Jesus and a mockery of the Jewish nation. Another political statement. There were two thieves crucified alongside of Jesus, placed on either side of him. One thief had no problem commingling politics with religion, and he was mad. I suppose like whenever we're, we're mad, we get mad whenever we mix those two things. But uh, he said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. If you really are this chosen one of God, that's what he's saying. If you are really the chosen one, if you are really his anointed one, the one who is going to usher in the kingdom of God, if you are the Messiah and Lord, then do what you came to do to fix this situation. Get us out of here. Be a real king. But what the thief, the impenitent thief, and what the rulers and what the mockers failed to realize that this is precisely how Jesus came to fix the situation. On the cross, we see the rightful king reigning and ruling from his throne, conquering the former regime. In the Garden of Eden, the devil used this living tree to attempt to usurp the authority of God. And now on the cross, here is King Jesus, the rightful king, using this tree of death to bring about his regime, to bring about the real kingdom. The true king was taking over from there. And in Luke's account of this scene, there are really none who understand this in the moment. There's, the women don't understand. The rulers, the guards don't understand. The mocking, impenitent criminal doesn't understand. There are none except for one. There is one in Luke's account. There is one who made the good confession one who acknowledged in Jesus the rightful king, the heir to his father's kingdom, the, the penitent thief, saw in Jesus the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He saw in Jesus the king who came to conquer sin and death 
And because he saw that in Jesus, it caused him to be heartily sorry for his sins. It caused him to sincerely repent. He knew that he was receiving his just due for a life of crime. But in Jesus, he saw an innocent man, and not just any man, but the heir of all things, the one who is before all things, as we read in our epistle. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Hear that beautiful confession. Yours is the kingdom. You are God's appointed king who is to reign for eternity. And you show the world your kingship by suffering and dying for your people. And this man's mourning was not misplaced. He did not weep for Jesus because it was a tragic event. He wept over his sins. He knew that he deserved no better, but in Jesus he sought forgiveness and salvation. And on account of this man's confession, Jesus gave his absolution. He said, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. This repentant thief was given the promise of the kingdom in all of its glory that very moment, that kingdom which began and was inaugurated at his death and resurrection, that kingdom which will be completed and fulfilled at his return, the kingdom which has no end. It was all given to him in a moment. None of it was deserved or earned. No righteous deeds or works. You think that guy could do righteous works even if he wanted to? Pure gift. All he knew was that if Jesus said so, the kingdom would be his. He would be remembered. Today, brothers and sisters, see Jesus where he wants you to see him. As a king, bleeding and dying for your sins on the cross graciously reigning and ruling over all things for you and for your salvation. Here is sanity in a world gone mad. This is how we are anchored. This is how we are not tossed to and fro by the political trade winds and the election seasons and and the matters of this world. Yet sometimes you get your way in the political sphere Sometimes you don't, but ultimately your trust is not in any of those things. It is in your king. By holy baptism, another political event, by the way, by holy baptism, you've been given new allegiances. You've actually been transferred from the kingdom of Satan into Christ's kingdom. He has done that for you, and you did not do anything to deserve it or to merit it. That's where your allegiances lie, is to him Our pledge of allegiance is the creed. It's to our king. That's where your hope is and your hope. The Bible says hope does not put us to shame. The hope that is in Christ, it never puts us to shame. You will not be embarrassed to be aligned with Jesus. Your hope is in the king who destroyed the grip of hell in your life so that you would never belong to the devil. He remembers every single promise that he has ever made to you and rest assured he will not forget any single one of them, nor will he fail to carry out every single one to its completion. How is that for your politics and your religion? 
Now, maybe you're here today and you're less concerned with politics and elections and all that stuff. And maybe you're just here and you're trying to get along in life. You're just trying to get by. And it seems that all you experience lately is hardship and misery. Maybe that's where you are. Your king speaks to you today that same word of comfort that he spoke to that penitent thief. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You're going through it right now. But that eternal glory of the kingdom is actually yours here and now. It's a promise. And because of that promise, this crucible called life is only momentary. Just as Jesus' cross was only momentary. I spoke to a retired pastor recently and he told me this story. His son is, uh, is also a pastor. And his son was busy at church. It was during Good Friday. His son was at the church and getting ready for Good Friday service. And the retired pastor had a chance to, uh, an opportunity to bring his children, to, to bring his grandchildren, I should say, to the service. So he's driving the kids up there. They're getting ready for Good Friday. And then uh, the grandson spoke up. He's about seven or eight years old. And he said, Grandpa, are we going to be sad in church again? Are we going to be sad in church tonight? Because they had just gone to Maundy Thursday, right? And Maundy Thursday is sad too. And uh, Grandpa said, yes, we will. Just for tonight, we will. And the grandson didn't miss a beat. He said, okay, but we know what comes next, don't we? See your king on his cross, reigning and ruling from his throne. And as you go through life and you endure all of those things that this world throws at you, you know what comes next, don't you? And the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.